Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. We begin our series in 1 Samuel in chapter 1. I'll be reading from verses 4 through 20. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Panina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Elijah thought she was drunk. So Eli Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. 
I think I have done this every year. I think. I think all six years as your pastor, I have departed from the lectionary of assigned Sunday readings and preached through a book of the Bible instead. Many of you have commented on the fact that the sermon is often on the same scripture as your Sunday school lesson. That's not an accident. The Sunday school material is also based on the lectionary, four readings for each Sunday. And I will often preach from one of those four readings on Sunday, and sometimes they match up. It's a good discipline because it keeps me from going to my favorite scriptures over and over and over. If not, I might preach from Luke every single Sunday and you might get tired of it. The lectionary gets me into unfamiliar waters, has me deal with some challenging scriptures. But the limitation of the lectionary is that it snips one passage out of its literary home. We miss getting to hear the passage in the context of what the writer is trying to accomplish across the book of Romans or, or what is the narrative arc of Exodus. So for the months of January and February each year, I have taken one Bible book to preach through so that we might see the themes develop, appreciate across the storyline with some ear for the writer's purpose and continuation of theme. Last year, I departed from this habit slightly and preached through the minor prophets. And some of you didn't forgive me until after Easter (laughs) for doing that. So this year, I'm trying to make up for it. So this year, I'm going to preach through 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel is a great book to make up for it because it is so full of great action and great stories. 1 and 2 Samuel are a continuation of the same story, but we'll only have time for 1 Samuel this go-round. And the big history of 1 and 2 Samuel is the story of Israel's move from a loose federation of tribes little tribal groups here and there, to the rise of the monarchy of David by the end of 2 Samuel. But inside that big historic arc, there are all these fascinating little stories, these vignettes of courage and faith and honor and betrayal and all the great stuff of stories. So I can't wait for us to take this journey together. And we start today not as much from 1 Samuel as from no Samuel, because Hannah is unable to bear children. It's hard for us to fully understand the weight of what barrenness means in that time period. In the ancient culture, a woman's honor and reputation was tied to her ability to bear children, and particularly male children. By the way, no consideration at all that it could have been uh, the the father's issue and not hers. It was the woman's fault if she didn't bear male children. This is offensive in our current context, but back then this was a woman's purpose, her identity. This is what she was most proud of. And Hannah was not able to have children. Elkanah loved Hannah. He really did. He stayed with her. 
But, of course, he had another wife, too, so he could have, you know, those all-important male children. Well, the other wife he had, to make all of this worse on Hannah, Hannah's rival wife picked on her, made fun of her, provoked her because she was barren. And even though Elkanah loved her, she felt completely unworthy. She was not living out her purpose, she thought, and it was completely out of her control. And Hannah's anguish led her to the temple one day, and she cried and prayed and wailed in silence, moving her lips but not saying out loud, O Lord of hosts, if you will only look at the misery of your servant and remember me, not forget your service, but will give to your servant a male child. Then I will set him before you as a Nazarite till the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. Hannah didn't know that the priest, Eli, is sitting at the doorpost watching the scene. She's moving her lips. She's swaying back and forth in her anguish. Eli thinks she's drunk. And he approaches her and says, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Hannah tells him she's not drunk. She's deeply troubled and she's pouring out her soul to God. Well, truthfully, I don't know how theologically mature it is to bargain with God. Most of us have done it. But it it does seem a little weird, doesn't it, to bargain with God? Hey, God, let you and me make a deal? We've done it. Some of you did it in college. Woke up on a Saturday morning and said, God, spare my life and I'll never do it again. (laughs) Some of you, like Hannah, have just been praying the same prayer for so long Over and over, and the prayers seem to just die like wounded birds before they ever reach heaven. You just wonder if God is listening at all. Does God understand your anguish? Why, why, why is God not answering? Every morning for years, I have prayed the same prayer. Some version of the same prayer every morning before I even get out of bed. It is my greatest anguish, my deepest private pain. I have prayed the same prayer for years with no relief. Would I deal? You bet I would deal. God, what can I trade for a positive answer to my prayer? We all do it, I suppose. But it just doesn't seem right somehow to try to trade favors with God like swapping baseball cards. What it does affirm is a relationship of trust, an honest vulnerability, a trust that we can approach the throne of God with any heartfelt plea, regardless of how mature or how rational. This passage gives me permission to take my unfiltered self, the part of me that is not blown dry and groomed, and just lay it out before the God who loves me. 
irrational requests, offers to bargain, miracle healings. I don't have to be rational in front of God. I can just throw my unfiltered self into the arms of God and weep and weep and weep even if, th- if Eli thinks I've had too much to drink. And Eli tells Hannah, go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. Hannah went back home, ate and drank with her husband, and she wasn't sad any longer. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. In due time. What is that? Was was that next week? Was that a year and a half later? What does it mean in due time? It's only two verses away in the scripture. But in due time can be a long, long time. And there are people in this room living between the temple tears and the promise fulfilled. And it can take a while. It can take a while for in due time to come if it's fulfilled at all. Sometimes we continue our honest prayer over and over and over every morning before feet hit the floor, and sometimes it's in the context of trying to accept what we cannot change. Anthony DeMello tells this story of a rabbi. On a bitterly cold day, the rabbi and his disciples are huddled around a fire. One of the disciples, echoing his master's teaching, said, on a freezing day like this, I know exactly what to do. What, asked the others? Keep warm. And if that isn't possible, I still know what to do. What? Freeze. Anthony DeMello comments, present reality cannot really be rejected or accepted. To run away from it is like running away from your feet. Sometimes we live in in due time, in that space between the tears and the fulfillment. Sometimes our present reality isn't something we have the power to change. Sometimes fulfillment doesn't happen at all, at least to our way of thinking. But in case you missed the order of the story, I want to go back a few verses and underscore what I find to be the most remarkable part of this passage. This is before the in due time part. This is the before Hannah conceived and bore a son. It's back in verse 18. After Hannah cried and prayed before God in the temple, and after Hannah receives this blessing from Eli, it says, Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. Her sadness was gone, 
before her prayer was answered. Hannah left the burden at the altar of God, trusting God with the things that were beyond her control, trusting God's ultimate care and love for her. She trusted that God could hear and hold her anger, that at the end she would trust God. And then she went back to her life. She went back to her husband and back to eating and drinking and watching Netflix. She gave her pain over to God. And her countenance was sad no longer. This happened before the promise was fulfilled. And by the way, Hannah's name means grace. There are two choices. We can either give up and resign to a life of misery or hold on to the faith that God hears us, loves us, cares for us, and return to living without the debilitating sadness. Several years ago, when our children were little, I was performing a wedding. I went to the rehearsal dinner without Melissa. She stayed home with the kids. So I was seated at the dinner, at the rehearsal dinner with my date. Uh, She was a charming divorced bridesmaid. We had a nice time. She was my date for the evening. But at one point she turned to me and said, I used to go to church. I used to be a believer. In fact, I used to be in church leadership. But my divorce happened when God refused to answer my prayers. And since my divorce, I have not been back to church. And now I don't believe in God anymore. There are two choices. We can give up and resign to a life of misery. Or hold on to the faith that God hears us, loves us, cares for us, and return to living without the debilitating sadness. This is an aside, but... Every time somebody tells me they don't believe in God, it triggers for me what I think is the most inspired response to that. Carlisle Marnie said one time to an atheist, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Chances are I don't believe in that God either. I just love that answer. But I do believe in the God of this story. I believe in the God who hears us cry in the temple and hurts along with us. I believe in the God who inspires people like Eli to be agents of blessing in our life when life is hard and we need somebody to come by and speak the word that gives us the strength to go the next mile. I believe that God is with us in the long stretch before in due time becomes satisfaction. I believe in the God who even lets us haggle and bargain and weep irrationally. 
This story has a happy ending. Hannah conceives, she bears a son, she names him Samuel, which translates heard by God. And Hannah stays faithful to her vow. She raises her son according to the promises she made that day in the temple. But nowhere does it say that God entered into the deal. Hannah praised God for the positive answer to her prayer, but there's no indication that the prayer was answered positively because she haggled. So if God has answered your prayer, celebrate, dedicate with thanksgiving, give this prayer a name like Samuel, heard by God. We do give God the glory for satisfying answers to our prayers. But if you're living in the verses before in due time, or if you're still weeping in the temple, your deepest cry may not be resolved yet. Remember that Hannah turned toward God and not away. Hannah went to the temple of God and made her heart sick plea to the Holy One and left it there. Trusting God with the things that were beyond her control. Then she went home, had dinner, saw her husband, had something to drink, was sad no more. It's in relationship to God that it is possible to be sad no more, even before Samuel is conceived. In trusting relationship, it is possible to be sad no more, even before our prayers are answered. How will you respond to God's call? First Sunday of a new year, it might be the time to join. It might be the time to rededicate yourself to some new purpose. Whether publicly or privately, I hope you will respond in some way to the urging of God's Spirit as we stand and sing together. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.